Those ages three to five can be dismissed. For those older, six to nine, there are clipboards, but they just have plain paper in them. There's no special message on them, but you're allowed to have those clipboards and use that paper. Maybe take notes. I already introduced him in prayer, but you know we're having John Hutchinson today from Frontline Ministries. He'll be bringing the preaching and sharing about the ministry to you this morning. Thank you, sir. And it's a joy to be back with you at First Baptist of Ripley. It's been several years since I was here before uh, to bring you an update. Uh, I'm John Hutchison, the field director of Frontline Missions International. I oversee our ministries in the former Soviet countries, and we talked about those in the Sunday school hour this morning. Um, Also, um, I uh, shared about our... um, Executive Director Tim Kazee, the one who is in the videos, uh, dispatches from the front videos, and we would appreciate your prayers for him and his cancer journey. He's making progress after having a stem cell transplant back in January for a very rare form of blood cancer, a lymphoma. And uh, all of the cancer spots were gone but one, and it appears to be shrinking. So we're trusting by the end of this month when he has another stem cell transplant, another PET scan, it'll show that the stem cell transplant got rid of all the cancer. So thank you for your prayers for him. Uh, He still has more uh, videos to produce in the Luke's Dispatches series. The term dispatches means reports from the field. And uh, the one on Luke is based on the fact that key locations that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write about in the book of Acts, where the apostles preached the gospel in the first century, the same gospels going forth in those same locations today in the 21st century. So those resources are on the table, include signing up for our monthly e-newsletter. We just need your name and email address, and we would appreciate uh, you signing up. And after a couple of months, if it's not what you wanted, then just hit unsubscribe and you're done with it. You don't have to uh, have it coming anymore. Uh, There are other resources back there that God's using. We've had grandparents that get the uh, films the videos, and send them to their grandchildren because they want them to have a heart for the Great Commission. And we've had people called to the mission field through watching these videos. So God is using them, and we are grateful for that uh, and how he is doing that. Uh, uh, I just want to give my public appreciation to Pastor Don and his faithfulness year here for 40 years. I was a pastor of a small rural church in the mountains of North Georgia, southern Appalachia, the only place you could snow ski in uh, Georgia, uh, for 23 years. But that's just barely a little over half of what he has done here. And I so appreciate his faithfulness to the Lord, his willingness to stay here and shepherd this flock uh, instead of going looking for bigger lights and bigger places and bigger cities. Uh, My hat is off to him, and I'm thankful Uh, that we get to see one another on this visit here now that he has retired. I'm sorry my lovely bride Lois could not be here with me. She's been my wonderful partner in the pastorate and now in the mission field. Uh, We've been married 571 months. We count our month anniversaries. A lot of guys get in trouble because they forget their anniversary on the date of their anniversary. Then they're in the doghouse. But if you count your month anniversaries, you never forget your anniversary. And so with 571 months, 
and nine children. She's been a wonderful partner with me in the ministry, a godly, Christ-like woman for whom I'm very thankful. And I'm sorry she wasn't able to come on this trip. Well, let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 9, and if I can find my remote here. Did I leave it back there on the edge of the... I was around on your left, Dave. I don't know if I left it on that side over there or not. Um... Okay, well, we'll hunt for it after the service. I'll just ask if you would please um, hit the buttons as we go through it. That's odd how I mislaid that. But valuing what God values. We're focusing on what God places value on. And you heard the text read in Matthew chapter 9 about Jesus going through the villages and cities, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And... God puts value on the harvest. Would you click it, please? Uh, Next. Our natural tendency is to place value on temporal possessions and priorities. We so easily do that. Things we can see. Our homes, our uh, possessions, our vehicles, our bank accounts, our retirement portfolios, whatever's left in those. And um, it's easy for us to place value on temporal possessions And yet God places the value on the harvest. Notice the harvest is mentioned three times in verses 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful in verse 37. And then verse 38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So three times he mentions the harvest in our text. And the harvest represents people that God loves and for whom Jesus died, whom God's drawing to himself And the harvest is composed of people, immortal souls. They're going to live somewhere forever. And that should be what we value as well. Put the value on the harvest instead of on temporal things. And so the Holy Spirit inspired um, this metaphor for Matthew to use as he wrote the Gospel account of a farming or agricultural Uh, word picture. And you folks here in Ripley are very familiar with agriculture and farming. You have you prepare the harvest, you have to prepare the soil, you have to plant, you have to treat it, and you trust God for rain, you have to fertilize it, you spray, you trust God for a good harvest. Now those of us that are from the city, we're not much into agricultural experiences except maybe to raise a few tomatoes in the backyard. But other than that, we're not as plugged into this word picture that Jesus uses here. But it's showing the harvest represents people God loves and for whom Jesus died. Next, please. So global mission starts with God's overarching concern. Uh, if we could go back to that. No, back before that, please. One slide back. Uh, The harvest represents God's glory among the nations. God's fame, His glory represents all of His character and His glory among the nations. And God's focus not just on America. He's focused on the nations of the world. According to the United Nations, there's something like 192, almost 200 nations on the planet. And God's interested in all the nations, not just the United States. 
I run into Christians who think God's got a special focus on America and we're in a special place in God's plan. No. John 3.16. It doesn't say, for God so loved the United States of America. It says, God so loved the world. And He desires His fame and glory to penetrate every nation on the uh, planet. How? Through the spread of His glorious gospel. Taking the good news of how Jesus came to rescue us from our sin and misery and ourselves. How Jesus kept the law perfectly. We've all broken the law. We've all told lies at one time or another. We've all taken things that didn't belong to us at one time or another. We've all been greedy or covetous for things that don't belong to us, that belong to other people. And that's just three of the Ten Commandments we've broken. And God can't let lawbreakers into heaven. I've had people tell me, well, John, I'm basically a good person. Really? God doesn't let good people into heaven. He only lets righteous people into heaven. Those who have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to their account in heaven because He kept His Father's law perfectly. Then He went to the cross. He took the wrath of God on Himself that you and I deserve. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. He took the death penalty for us and He was buried and raised again the third day gloriously so that He's alive forevermore. And that's why we're here on the first day of the week to work Worship our risen Savior, Jesus. He's what it's all about. And I'm afraid too many people lose sight of Jesus. And they get hung up in arguing over biblical interpretations. And they lose sight of Jesus and His glorious gospel. And what's the purpose? To seek lost sinners to convert into true worshipers. You see, we're not naturally worshipers of Jesus. We're naturally worshipers of ourselves. In fact, when Jesus gave the two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and then number two, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. He knew we already loved ourselves. And we're in love with our feelings. We don't want anybody hurting our feelings. You know, I wish there was some kind of database that's compiled all across the United States of people that left churches because they got their feelings hurt. You know, we're in love with our feelings. We think our feelings are right. We don't want anybody hurting our feelings. And we have to be converted into true worshipers of the one true God. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so life's not about me and my personal happiness. We're getting bombarded with this new religion in America today of expressive individualism that says, just follow your own heart. Do whatever makes you happy. Uh, follow your own dreams. Instead of seeking God and His standards and His Word, it's all about me. That's, we're bombarded with that today. But life's not about me and my personal happiness. Life is about Jesus and His gospel. Next, please. So let's see the heart of Jesus in this great harvest. Notice in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel. Notice his contacts with the crowds. We see number one, in this great harvest, there's a reality to this harvest. Crowds of people. And what's Jesus doing? He's proclaiming the gospel. Jesus is proclaiming the good news to hurting people in darkness. And he also healed every disease because here the king was present and nobody could exist with disease in his presence. But he was the king and was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is, at verse 36, when he saw the crowds, 
When Jesus saw crowds of people around Him, His compassion came forth. He had compassion for them. It's an interesting word in the Greek language. It's splok anidzomai. It has the idea of feeling in one's innermost being. Jesus felt compassion for all these hurting, wounded people who were like sheep without a shepherd. And now they use a different word picture instead of the harvest one, the shepherd and the sheep. And Jesus is the good shepherd showing compassion And here these people were all around Him, harassed, helpless, like sheep with no shepherd. You see, in Jesus' day, the religious leaders were not pastoral. They they weren't concerned about people's spiritual needs and ministering to their hurts and pains. Like if they had problems in a marriage or they had problems with their kids, they couldn't go to the Pharisees and scribes and get help. They were horrible spiritual leaders. And that's why the people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And by the way, sin is a horrible slave master. Sin tells people, oh, you can throw off God's standards. You can throw off God's moral law. You can do whatever you want to do. And you'll just have great fun. And it lies to people and doesn't tell them that sin leaves them with guilt. This nagging guilt of their conscience. It doesn't tell them that they're left with emptiness on the inside because of pursuing selfish ways instead of God's ways. So Jesus saw all these hurting people and He was moved with compassion on them. Hey, when you're out in public around people, you're at a store or you're at a sporting event or you're at work, do you ever look at people through spiritual eyes and wonder, I wonder if this guy's ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel or you see this gal over here wonder, I wonder where she's going to spend eternity. Is she going to spend eternity with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth? Or is she going to spend eternity separated from Jesus in the lake of fire? Do you ever look at people through spiritual eyes? Jesus was looking at them through spiritual eyes. And He was seeing, He was empathizing, being around hurting people. Next please, let's look at the great harvest today. Fast forward to the 21st century. The world population is growing at a rate of a quarter of a million a day. It's now 8 billion people. We can't even wrap our heads around that big of a number. 8 billion people. And the fastest growing religion is not Christianity, it's Islam. And in fact, if Jesus doesn't come back first, if Jesus does not do something by the year 2070... And that's just a short 48 years from now. Many of us will not be alive then, but our children and grandchildren will be. Islam will be the largest religion on the planet. Unless Jesus comes back first or he does something spiritually, uh, supernaturally, with a wave of evangelism. But Muslims know their desire for a worldwide caliphate and they're busy trying to spread their control and their religion There's some 7,000 different language groups. A third of them don't have the Bible available in their heart language. And then of all the Protestant churches in the U.S., there's some 330,000 Protestant churches in the U.S., less than 10% have any kind of global missions focus like you have here at First Baptist Church. So you're to be commended. You're part of the less than 10% of the churches, Protestant churches around the U.S. that have any kind of global missions focus at all. And that's the reality of the harvest. Next, please. So here are the most gospel-destitute nations with the highest levels of persecution. It's a band that goes across North Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. There's some 70 countries there. 
Two-thirds of the world's population lives there. Only one-third of the world's population lives in the white area outside of it. Only one-third of the world's population. We keep sending missionaries back to countries that have three generations of national believers. These countries are just getting their first generation of national believers. And these are gospel dead zones. You can go hundreds of miles in the countries, never see a church, never see a cross, never see a steeple. You can meet people who've never met a born-again Christian before. People who've never seen a Bible or held one in their hands. And these areas desperately need the gospel. But it takes risk to go into these countries because their governments are opposed to Christianity. They hate the cross. Now, as I said in Sunday school this morning, American corporations like Nike, like McDonald's, they found out ways, Coca-Cola, they found out ways to get into these countries to make a buck. Why can't the Lord's people find creative ways to get into these countries? And Frontline Missions is focused on getting the gospel into these countries that are spiritually destitute, where they have so little access to the gospel. Missionaries can go. The risk is great of being watched, of being arrested, of being deported. And for too long in America, evangelical Christians have called these closed countries. But Jesus said, go to all nations. He didn't say just the ones that are easy to get into. So, next please. These nations have least access to the gospel. They have some 4,700 frontier people groups. And these are people with the same language, same background, same culture. And they have little exposure to the gospel where one-tenth of one percent of Christians with no churches, no Bibles. Next, please. So with so many people, groups, and nations that have limited access to the gospel, we need new strategies. We must embrace risk-taking. Risk-taking gospel advance to reach frontier people, groups, and restricted access nations. We can't just keep doing missions like we did back in the 70s and 80s where we just send people to safe countries. Because Jesus took the greatest risk to purchase our redemption. The apostles took risks. And you know what's interesting? After 9-11, when we were attacked by radical Islamists, our young people went down to the recruiting agencies and signed up in the military to go fight for temporal freedom against radical Islam in Afghanistan. A great risk. And we applauded them. And some of them paid the ultimate price. They came home in a casket. And we honored their memories. But when our young people want to sign up in the Lord's army and go preach spiritual freedom in Christ in these countries, we tend to say, well, no, you know, we don't think that's a good idea. It's too dangerous. Uh, I've even had young adults tell me that are married and out of the home. They say, God's called us to a Muslim country. But our parents are telling us, no, don't go. Can you believe Christian parents trying to keep their kids from following Jesus in a hard place? Or they'll say something like, I don't want my kids raised in a country like that. Well, really, who gets to determine God's will for your children? You or God? And we have to remember, our children are not ours anyway. They belong to God. He's loaned them to us to train for His glory. And when they reach majority age, if He calls them to go to a restricted access country or a creative access country, we ought to applaud that. 
Next, let's look, please, at the restrictions on the harvest. We're still looking at the great harvest. It's not the hearts. We say, well, people's hearts seem hard. They're not responding to the gospel like they used to. Well, they're not in America because we live in a post-Christian society. But in these countries of the 1040 window, they're hearing the gospel and responding wonderfully to the gospel. So that in China, for example, somewhere around 10,000 Chinese people a day are coming to Christ. It's not the power of the gospel. The gospel is still the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, according to Romans 1. No problem with the power of the gospel. And guess what? You say, well, we don't have enough funds. Uh, they're Young couples that are wanting to go to the mission field are having to travel around the country three, four, five years to raise support. There's just not enough funds to get there. Whoa, whoa. God's already provided the funding for the harvest. You say, yes? Yeah. God's already provided the funding for the harvest. Really? Where? It's in our pockets. He's waiting for us to give it. He's already provided the funds. And when we stand before Jesus at the beam and seat, the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to think, you know, I wish I'd have bought some more toys back there down on planet Earth. No, when we stand there in front of Jesus, and as He evaluates our lives after our salvation experience, I wouldn't be surprised if we look at what our giving was for the kingdom of God and global missions and think, you know, I could have given a whole lot more than that. What are the restrictions on the harvest? It's the fact of a minimal number of laborers. See where he says in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why is there a labor shortage among the harvest in global missions? Why so few young people actually stepping forward and saying, here am I, send me like Isaiah did? Or believers involved in disciple making? Well, it's a strange paradox. Because you'd think people redeemed by the grace of God, taken out of the miry clay, have their feet set on a rock where He establishes our going and puts a new song in our mouths, that we'd be shouting that from the housetops. It's a strange paradox, but it's a serious difficulty too because if Jesus had given the responsibility of proclaiming the good news to the angels, they would have already gotten it done. Because whatever God tells the angels to do, they do it just like that. No deliberating, no having committee meetings to discuss it. They obey what Jesus tells them to do. Next, please. So, what are the factors for why there's a minimal number of laborers? Why is there a labor shortage? Well, it's a lack of spirit control living, where we're not filled with the Spirit day by day and making God-centered choices instead of self-centered choices. We ought to be plugged into the Holy Spirit and report to the Holy Spirit for duty each morning and ask Him to control our thoughts and our words and our actions so we make God-centered choices and not self-centered choices. But then it gets back to a low view of God. Because if our God's glorified every time someone is converted, when they are redeemed out of the darkness of sin and taken out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His dear Son, we ought to rejoice and want to see God glorified as often as possible when that happens. And here's another reason why, when it relates to the Bible colleges and seminaries in North America, and this is North America, includes Canada and the U.S., more than 95% of the graduates of most Bible colleges and seminaries in North America stay in the U.S. and Canada and minister to the 5% of the world who live in these two countries. 
So all the tr- most of all the trained workers stay right here in North America. It's as if we are hoarding the gospel in North America, in Canada, and the U.S. But we've got all these trained people that stay right here. We've neglected to hold up to our young people the challenge and the privilege of going globally. When 99% of the unevangelized, those who have not heard the gospel, 99% of the unevangelized live outside of North America. Now, look at this distribution of Protestant missionaries among the major religious blocks of the countries of the world. And we want to dwell on this for a moment. Those who study the field of missions are called missiologists. They don't know who's really born again. They just take the statistics that are turned into them of all the Protestant denominations and just add them all up. Okay, notice 73%, the bottom figure there, 73% of American missionaries go to nominal Christian nations. For example, the country of Mexico to our south border. 92% of the Mexican population self-identify as Christians. Now we know that's because of the influence of the Catholic Church. But 92%, that's higher than in the U.S. because in the U.S. only 69 to 70% of Americans self-identify as Christians. And that number is getting lower as secular progressivism grows in the U.S. So in Mexico, 92%. And the majority of those 92% Mexican people who self-identify as Christians have a crucifix on the wall of their homes. They know Jesus is the Son of God. They know He died on the cross for sins. They don't know how to apply His sacrifice to themselves to have the righteousness of Jesus credited to their account in heaven because they're taught in the Catholic Church that they have to work their way to heaven. They don't understand grace. They have to merit righteousness by going to confession by praying their Hail Marys, by uh, doing good deeds and going on pilgrimages to merit enough righteousness to get into heaven. But at least they know who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He died on the cross for sins. And they understand that. Now, notice two up from that, 6% of Protestant missionaries from America are sent to Muslim countries. Now, there's some 45 majority Muslim countries on the planet. 45 plus Muslim majority countries on the planet. And we only send 6% of American missionaries to these countries? Only 6%? And they don't know who Jesus is. Because Islam teaches them that He is not the Son of God. They'll argue that till the cows come home. That Jesus is not the Son of God. He's only an esteemed prophet. And they also teach that Jesus did not die on the cross that it would be blasphemous for an esteemed prophet to die on the cross, so they believe Judas was substituted at the last minute. So in these 45-plus majority Muslim countries, they don't even know who Jesus is. And we only send 6% of American missionaries there because it's risky, because Muslim countries hate the gospel, and they don't want Christians coming in. So there's a huge imbalance here as far as sending people to these overlooked people in these 4,700 frontier people group, they're overlooked, and in many cases not even targeted for the gospel. And they're people that are born in those religions. They have nobody to turn to to get spiritual direction that cares for their souls. 
and they don't have anybody praying for them by name. I mean, many of you have unsaved friends, unsaved relatives you're praying for by name to get saved. But people in these countries, nobody's praying for them by name to come to Jesus. Next, please. So let's look secondly at the great request. Jesus said in verse 38, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into His harvest. This is a biblical prayer request that Jesus told us to pray for more gospel workers or goers into the harvest. He said, pray for more laborers. Now this is a priority of Jesus. He made it a command. He commanded, in fact it's recorded here in Matthew 9.38 and it's also recorded as we saw in Sunday school in Luke 10.2. So it's twice in the Gospels. It's a command, but it's a command we often overlook. Pastor Dom, when I was in the pastor of the mountains of North Georgia for more than 20 years, I presided over a lot of prayer meetings. Pray for the Smith family. Mr. Smith has passed away. The family is in sorrow. Pray for the Jones family. Mr. Jones is, was in an accident. He's in the hospital. Pray for the Morgan family. Mr. Morgan's lost his job and needs employment. And those are valid things to pray for, to bear one another's burdens, as Galatians tells us to do. But I never remember anybody raising their hand and saying, can we please pray for more laborers for the harvest? And that's a biblical prayer request. Something we ought to be praying for on a regular basis. It's a pattern that we overlook. In fact, the Spirit of God convicted me because one day I was having my quiet time, going through my prayer list with all these things on it. And the Spirit of God said to me, John, you got your prayer list with all these things on it, but you're not praying for more laborers for the harvest. And I told you in my word to pray for more laborers for the harvest. And I had to say, God, you're right. You've convicted me. I'm wrong. I have not been obedient to that. And I started praying more specifically for God to send out more laborers in the harvest. In my home church in Greer, South Carolina right now, we have on our Wednesday night prayer list, every Wednesday night on the prayer list, pray for more workers for the harvest. And it's a biblical practice founded on a deep sense of need. Notice it says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Earnestly. The New American Standard says, plead with the Lord. It's intercession based on a deep sense of need. Lord, the need is great. With all these billions of people in darkness and all these frontier people groups that nobody's targeting. And it's also focused on thrusting out. It says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. That's ekbalo, the word in the original language, which literally means to thrust or shove people out. Why does God have to shove us out? Because we get in our comfort zones, our ruts. You know what a rut is? It's a grave with both ends kicked out. We get in our comfort zones and we've all got neighbors and friends and co-workers and people we've known for years that we've talked to about the weather and sports and farming and our hobbies and our children, our grandchildren, but we've never talked to them about Jesus. Because we're so afraid if we step outside our rut and start a gospel conversation, there's the risk, the risk that they might get angry, that they might reject us, or they might laugh at us. Or ask us a question from the Bible we don't know the answer to, so we just stay inside our ruts, inside our comfort zones with our lips zippered shut. 
And God is wanting to thrust out more laborers into the harvest to take the good news. And this happened in the Old Testament when He called Moses to be God's spokesman to Pharaoh, the most powerful king on the planet in Egypt. Moses said, no, I'm a man slow of speech. I can't go. When God called Isaiah to be a prophet to Israel, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, not me. He called Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, and Jeremiah said, but I'm but a youth. I'm too young a guy to do it. And God's always had to thrust us outside our comfort zone. So that's why Frontline Missions has come up with this 31-day prayer calendar. They're on the table back there in the foyer. You can pick one up on your way out. Praying for this part of the world, this 1040 window region where we have ministries. And we're asking people to pray for one country a day. You know how long it takes to name one country before the throne of grace with these two requests that we saw this morning? Next, please. This is entry-level intercession, okay? Pray for more goers to take the gospel and special grace for suffering Christians. Hebrews 13.3 says, remember the prisoners as if you're chained with them. Now, by the way, as you pray for more goers, you pray, Lord, raise up more goers in the next generation out of our own body here at First Baptist. Raise up from our own children and young people. Help us to be like Acts 13, Antioch, ascending church that sent out Barnabas and Paul. Help us to be ascending church. And you've had people go out of here from this church. Uh, The uh, lady coming next week to Peru, I understand, uh, is Pastor Don's sister. Came out of this church. And God's done that in the past. We say, Lord, we want you to do it with the next generation of children and young people growing up here. We want you to call them as goers into the harvest. So we've seen the great harvest. We've seen the great request. Notice thirdly, our great God. He's the Lord of the harvest. Now, God's names teach us His character. It's a wonderful study to study the names of God in Scripture. I did a listing of my own, came up with some 55 names. Names of the Father, names of the Son, names of the Spirit, because they teach us so much about our great God and His attributes and His offices and His ministries to us. For example, in the Old Testament, the name El Elyon is the Most High God. Our God is the Most High God of all gods on the planet. No God is higher than our gods. Allah is not higher than Jesus. And by the way, Allah is not the same as Jesus. He's not the same as God either because Allah has no son. Our God has a son and His name is Jesus. He's higher than the 330 million gods of Hinduism. He's the most high God. That's what El Elyon teaches us. And then in the New Testament, the name Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, or anointed one. And it speaks of His three ministries as the anointed one of prophet, priest, and king. So God's names teach us His character. But notice what this name highlights. He, this name highlights God's priority, which is the harvest. The harvest is so important to our great God, our awesome God, that He built the word harvest into one of His titles, the Lord of the harvest. And you know what that emphasizes to us? His sovereignty. He's in control of the harvest. It's His harvest. Notice it says in verse 38, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, And He's the one that does the sending out labors into His harvest. The harvest belongs to Him. He's in control of the harvest. 
And He is telling us to pray for more goers. And then secondly, it shows us His sympathy. He cares for the harvest. Remember verse 36, Jesus had compassion for them. He felt compassion for hurting people. Jesus loves souls in darkness. He yearns for them to come to Him. And you can tell a non-Christian, listen, God loves you and He wants you in His family. Allah doesn't tell people to come to Islam by saying He loves them and He wants them in His family. But our God is such a compassionate God that He loves people and wants them to come into His family. So what's needed for us to value what God values? First, we need a Godward focus. God's glory as the only God worthy of worship. We worship the Lord in the hymns we sang this morning. We worshiped Him uh, in that new song, Behold your God, seated on His throne. Come let us adore Him. We worship God as His glory, the only God worthy of worship. And then His great grace shown to us on the cross. You know what the problem with amazing grace is? He said, I didn't know there was any problem with amazing grace. It's not amazing to us anymore. We take it for granted. We think God has to show us His grace. Because well, after all, didn't He say He would do that in the Bible, so He has to do it? And we're no longer amazed by His grace. When's the last time you were amazed that God could love you? You know, Vladimir Putin is an evil, wicked man, killing innocent women and children and civilians, killed over 5,000 innocent Ukrainian civilians, over 380 of them children. And yet God would save Vladimir Putin if he would repent of his sins and turn to Jesus and be born again. God would save a man like that with blood on his hands. And that would be amazing. But when's the last time you were amazed that God loved you and saved you? We sing, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. So God's great grace shown to us on the cross. Andrew Murray, wonderful missionary, statesman of the past several generations from South Africa, said, the enthusiasm for the kingdom is missing because there's so little enthusiasm for the king. God wants us to be enthused about Jesus, amazed about Jesus, excited about Jesus. So who is God looking for? Okay? If He values the harvest, He's looking for those, not only with a Godward focus, but an others focus. More intercessors who will pray for more goers into the harvest. God, would you send more goers into these gospel destitute countries? Would you raise up more goers even out of our own assembly here? And he's looking for volunteers, number two, who will share the gospel with hurting people around you. I stopped at a gas station the other night to get some gas. I've drawn all the way across New York this past week, put 1,200 miles on my vehicle. And it was a guy, I first thought he was from India, as they are in a lot of gas stations, but found, he said, no, he wasn't from India. I said, are you from Pakistan? He said, yes. So I knew he wasn't Hindu, he was Muslim. I said, well, hey, I got something I want you to read. If you will read this, I gave him a gospel track, it shows you how much Jesus loves you and he wants you and his family so that you can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. I said, a lot of people think they might go to heaven or they hope so but they don't know for sure and if you will read this from the Bible it will show you how much Jesus loves you and wants you in his family 
We need to be sharing the gospel with hurting people around us. And then we need to be willing to be goers to a hard place. If God calls our children young people to go, loving our neighbors, being a servant to them, it's so easy to be self-centered in our culture today. You say, well, I don't know what to say to people. Then share your testimony. Tell how Jesus saved you. You ask a person, have I ever told you about the most important relationship in my life? You say, you mean with your husband, your wife, your spouse? No, my relationship with Jesus. And you proceed to tell them what it was like when you were lost and you had no peace, you had the guilt of your sins, you were afraid where you were going when you died, and then somebody told you about Jesus. And you repented of your sins and your life was radically changed. You ask God to forgive you for being the boss of your life because that's the basic problem we all have. We want to be in control. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. We want to be in control. And we have to ask God to forgive us for being the boss of our lives. That's repentance. A change of mind about the direction we're headed. And then receive Jesus as Savior, as the new boss. And then God's looking for investors who will trust God by faith to give more to global missions. My wife's heard me preach this before, so she went home one time and went through all the stuff in closets that we hadn't used in years and stuff we had in the attic we hadn't used in years, and she had a yard sale. This is a number of years back. And she cleared $700 that she had received to give to global missions. So she was just looking for ways to get more resources available to lay up treasure in heaven and trust God by faith to see, hey, can we get more this year than we did last year? Because Jesus is worthy and the need is great in these people, groups, and nations. And God's the owner anyway of our funds, our resources. It's not my money, it's God's money. He's the owner. Haggai 2.5 says, The gold and the silver is mine, says the Lord. It's all His. We're just the managers. He's the owner. We're the managers. We're supposed to give it where He says give it for the sake of His kingdom. So do you see why God values the harvest for His glory? He's looking at the ultimate fulfillment in the marriage supper of the Lamb when He presents a bride composed of people from every tribe, every people group, every nation to His Son Jesus. God's looking forward to that event with great anticipation. So are you involved in some type of gospel ministry to make disciples? Will you, will you pray for more goers into the harvest There's no limit to what a church can accomplish when it's focused on worshiping God's glory and that drives us out into the harvest fields to share the good news and rescue the perishing. Let's pray. Father, thank You for loving us with Your great love and compassion. You're the one that's shown sympathy towards us and the harvest. Help us to have on our heart what's on Your heart, which is men, women, boys and girls in the darkness of Christless eternity and they need someone to lovingly tell them about Jesus. Would you do a work in our hearts for the fame and glory of Jesus to the nations? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your hymn books to 478. song, I'll Go Where You Want Me to Go. Let's all stand and sing together. Consider sometimes where he wants us to go is next door. Sometimes it's a lot further away.
mountain high or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battlefront. My Lord will have need of me. But if by a still small voice he calls to pass, I do not know. I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Perhaps today there are loving words which Jesus would have me speak. There may be now in the paths of sin some wonder whom I should seek. Oh, Savior, if Thou wilt be my guide through dark and rugged the way, my voice shall echo the message sweet. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. There's surely somewhere a lowly place in earth's harvest filled so wide where I may labor through life's short day for Jesus the crucified. So trust in my all to, to thy care I know thou lovest me. I'll do thy will with a heart sincere. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, or mountain, or plain, or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. Gracious Father, we're thankful for the message of your word. We pray that you'll help us to be faithful, not just to hear your word, but to respond to it. Help us to determine what you desire of us and to hear your leading and to be willing, Lord, to do what is uncomfortable for us and to tell others about Christ. Lord, we have such great joy in knowing that we're in your family. Help us to have that great desire that comes with that that would want others to be in that family with us. We pray that as we leave today, we'll have been 
pushed by your spirit to hear your word, to respond, and to move. It's easy, Lord, for us to just quietly say, I'm too busy, or there's many other things that would keep me from going. Help us, Lord, to set ourselves aside and look at to you and be what you want us to be. Well, thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs>